This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, and we thank them so much for sticking with us through this pandemic. And uh, they have got quite a few things to offer you. So take a listen to what Court has to say about Mother's Day. Yeah, Mother's Day is just, uh, well, it's this Sunday. So why not treat your mom to an amazing brunch spread at home? My daughters are totally into this. Uh, Ready to heat quiche brunch box, which by the way, we did the quiche for Easter Sunday. It is so good. I should have bought a few of those because it's the gift that just keeps on giving. They also have a French toast kit, which includes all the ingredients to create lemon curd stuffed French toast that uh, comes with berries and mascarpone whipped cream. Uh, of course, don't forget the mimosas. Everybody loves a good mimosa on Mother's Day with fresh squeezed orange juice, flowers, chocolates, and more. So uh, let Zupan's Markets be your Mother's Day destination. Uh, by the way, you can order all of this at zupans.com. And right now they're doing that great curbside pickup, which is... So yeah, make your decisions and jump down there. I've always found Zupan's a great place to go when I'm uh, just shopping for a little gift for anybody, whatever the occasion. So it's oh, yeah. great. And also, if you're not sure what you want for dinner, they have ready-to-heat meals. They added uh, a chili relleno dinner to their menu. It's stuffed with Monterey Jack cheese, rice, beans, guacamole, rice, and it comes with chips. They also have, as we know, these wonderful poke bowls. They have a bistro sandwich dinner, roasted salmon, tamales, even with a vegan option, and one of my favorites, meatloaf, and of course, roasted chicken. So if you order by noon for the same day pickup, you can pick it up between three and seven at any one of three Zupan's locations. Weir Court. Uh, you got West Burnside, you got Lake Oswego, McAdam, and always at zupans.com. It's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And over there on that end of the Zoom is Court Johnson from kink.fm operating the studio pretty much from out of his home for the last month, right? Or I shouldn't speak about you in the third person, out of your home for the last month, right, Court? Yeah, it's been really interesting as, uh, you know, as they shifted everybody to working from home. I was curious to see how we were going to pull that off in the uh, broadcast field, but uh, technology allows me to pretty much do my show entirely from my house. I, I just have a little microphone set up in my uh, my dining room, and right. I, I, I do it from there, and I can control all the buttons, and uh, it's not quite the same, but it uh, it works. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with commercial real estate when this is all done. When they, when a lot of companies realize, man, we don't need all this space that costs yeah. us hundreds of dollars per square foot or whatever it costs these days. Uh, we can get by without it or with a lot less, put it that way. So right. Yeah, I, th I think uh, – I was just going to say, I think for us, like obviously there's some things that just can't go away and, and radio is going to be one of those things. However, I think we have learned there, that we can kind of make some, some changes to, to certain things, but my wife's company is going through that very conversation right now. They realize, Oh, we can do all of this stuff without being in the office. Um, right. No, no reason to spend, you know, some, you know, a certain amount of money per month on, on rent. But with that said, 
it, it is, I've been going into the office about once a week, maybe once every two weeks, just to, to do some things I have to do physically there. And uh, as much as I love my family, um, it's nice to escape and, and go somewhere different. All right. I didn't hear that. <laughs> so I agree. Well, I've always loved the idea of going into the Pac West Center where we record right. from my home in Manzanita. And it was always a nice, not that one really needs to escape from Manzanita, and I'll address that in a moment. But I always thought, well, if I'm going to go into Portland, it's nice to go into a beautiful office with a waiting, you know, a, a reception area and a receptionist and record, grab something to eat, do what I need in Portland and get out. It was always very pleasant and I missed that and I look forward to, I don't know if we're going to do that again or if Zoom is going to be our way of recording the podcast or we'll find something else. As anybody who's been listening to the podcast has known, we, we tried things like this early on and we didn't, early on in the ball game, we didn't want to get um, our guests involved with technology right. because at two points uh, opportunities for technical failure and we thought it would just be easier for me on my phone to have people on speakerphone and we sacrificed some quality and I recorded it on another phone but now now six weeks later pretty much anybody who's not in on the zoom game is probably not participating in society now right right <laughs> yeah I have to tell you, though, this is actually my first Zoom. I did set it up, but I set it up. I was all jacked up with no place to go. So right. no, one, no one cares enough about me to ask me to be in on a Zoom. A few people have suggested that I find uh, income opportunities by doing Zoom classes, and I don't know in what I would do. Right. Um, but at any rate, so it's been interesting. Uh, you've been at your home. I've been here. I have said to a few people, I'm pretty good at being at home. The, and the fact that my home is in Manzanita, it hasn't really been a major hardship for me throughout this pandemic. So sure. uh, I'm pretty lucky on my street. There's, there have been a few people in and out against the mayor's wishes but I'm pretty much the only one here on this part of my street, and that's pretty cool. So um, I've been able to get through this with a couple of trips into Portland to get some prescriptions and make a couple of trips to Zupans because who doesn't want to make a couple of trips to Zupans? Right. Um, so, uh, and, and the one thing I can't do is my generally my livelihood, which are Portland food events and trips. I can't do those from my home. Right. The only thing I could do this time was postpone the trip that we would have ended about a week ago or last weekend in San Sebastian with the folks from Urdaneta. And we rescheduled that to same time next year. And uh, I am hopeful upon hope that somehow we can pull off the second itinerary in Spain in late September. Uh, I don't want to make any moves on that one yet, but of course we want to make sure everything's safe when we do it. But as long as I'm talking about it and people might be listening, we do have trips. We moved our Italy trip, Western Sicily from October, because we realized that nobody a month ago when all this was deep in the heart of Italy mm -hmm. was going to buy a ticket to go to Italy in October. So we moved that to um, next May, late May. Uh, 
That's available for anybody who would like to come and eat and drink in Western Sicily and see Palermo and Agrigento. It's beautiful. And uh, I'm also working on a, since this has happened, it's given me the opportunity to work on a trip to Iceland with the folks from the Fimble. Right now it's a pop-up in Portland, the Fimble pop-up, which is a Nordic pop-up that's been going on for three years. And uh, Matt and Aurora Wickstrom, who run that, are actually going to be moving to Iceland in about a month and opening up two restaurants uh, about three or four hours away from Reykjavik, and we'll be doing a trip from Reykjavik to uh, their new spot uh, in northern Iceland um, next summer. So that's not quite ready yet. We haven't gotten some information back from the folks in Iceland to price it out, but that's available too. And of course, I'm looking forward to some other trips as well as going to Australia again and Tasmania, which is part of Australia. Mm-hmm. With Nolan from Proud Mary, I believe we're moving that trip to 2022 in April. So um, a lot of time to sign up for that one as well. All right. That's my own personal Ooh. thing. Yeah. No, no, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts there. And, and we, I guess we should point out, like, they can, people can follow along by going to portlandfoodadventures.com. And I'm assuming on the trips tab, um, you're, you're mapping all of this out for everybody. Uh, we've got two of the trips there, or three yeah. of them. Uh, and the others will be coming up shortly within the next, within the month. We also, I figure, it's not, we're not in a rush. I can't see anybody rushing to buy trips right now. I hope they do, because right. I'm assuming people will have cabin fever. But, uh, yeah, it's at, thank you, Court. It's at PortlandFoodAdventures.com. You're the best yeah. to cue me to say that. And as far as my local events go, I had this bright idea to do some opening up events, and it was quickly called to my attention that there will be spacing requirements and uncertainty, and that's probably not the way to go right now. So I don't have any local events going on right now, and I don't think anybody's going to blame me for that. Right. Um, so that's that, but we have the podcast going on. And if anybody hasn't been listening for the past two months, month and a half, at least, we've been running a series called right at the moment where we've been talking to folks about, um, uh, the pandemic and how they've been handling it. So we started with our, um, our friends, Craig Peterson at ringside and John Gorham, we eventually caught up with Renee Gorham, his wife, when they started Feed It Forward PDX. And uh, we've talked to all sorts of people like Michael Madigan at Bowery Bagels, who's a very astute gentleman and interesting to hear how he's been handling it and what he foresees. Kurt Huffman, uh, Nate Snell at Pip, Pips, and uh, more. Nick Zukin as well. Mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I missed a couple there, I'm sure. Well, the nice thing is they can just go into the archives right at thefork.com and, and see a lot of that. And we've specifically designated those episodes, as you mentioned, Chris, as right at the moment episodes. So you'll know that those are specific to um, what's going on at that moment during the pandemic. Pandemic, Because what's interesting um, is the evolution of the different challenges as things kind of changed um, over the course of the past six, seven weeks. Um, you know, the, the conversations you were having early on, I think if you were to go back to those exact same people, they, they might be saying I, maybe some of the same things or they might be saying something completely different. Say like, I didn't, I didn't think it would go this way. Well, 
I don't think it's complete, but I think people have had time to understand that they have to live and breathe, and somehow things will either go on or they won't. Right. But there, these people in the restaurant industry are are tough. They're resilient. They're always dealing with something, and so this is a lot of something. And for instance, if you look, if you go back to the interview with John Gorham, which was the first ones we did, uh-huh. he was pretty stressed out about the whole thing. And I have to say the day before, he was way more confident than when we spoke with him. And right. then something happened in that day where he was more stressed out. And then last Friday, I can't believe it's been a week already, but I watched... I think it was Friday. Maybe it was even more recently. Maybe it hasn't been a week. Uh, I watched uh, Travel Portland featuring John and Renee on Instagram cooking a meal from his home. Mm-hmm. And that, he seemed pretty relaxed. And I'm, I'm sure inside he's got some worries. But as with any professional, he was able to uh, put that aside and uh, be very personable and relaxed. Uh, in his own kitchen, making a meal, and same with Renee. They have a lot of things to deal with when we come out of this, but I think a lot of people have realized, okay, this is the help we're going to get. We do have a supportive community, and um, let's do the best we can do. It's been sad to see some places close already, yeah. and they will as time goes on. Um, and, um, yeah, this is this is the most difficult thing that I think most of us who are, aren't over the age of 70 have ever dealt with, right? Sure. I, I think depression was the last worst thing. And while we've had some pretty big blips along the way, nothing like this. Yeah, I know this is, you know, not, not to sound too cliche, but I think this is the year that, you know, we're going to be talking about the my, my kids will be telling their kids about, you know, that they went through the, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic of 2020 and the, the economic fallout that, that took place, you know, through all well, of that. Let's hope, let's hope it's not, they don't refer to it as the first pandemic. Right. But here, here's, here's hoping. What, what I've found interesting, Chris, is we, as we talk about the, you know, the adjustments in the, in the food industry, I know I've tried to change my habits just as somebody trying to support them. You know, in, in my family, we typically will do pizza night on Friday nights. And then back in the old days when this wasn't going on, we would maybe eat out maybe one other time during the week or, you know, not always, but now we, we try to do that at least twice where we're doing some sort of pizza in the area and then a place in, you know, that we can order from and go pick up or have delivered and, you know, to support our local restaurants. But we've kind of, me personally, as I've dived into it and we've talked to friends and I've heard, you know, people post on, on Facebook, just the way, that these delivery companies work and the cut of money they take has changed my whole approach on that. And I'm like, Oh, I'm being supportive. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much money they're actually getting out of me buying a meal from them. So maybe I need to shift over to somewhere where I'm ordering from them and going and picking it up and cutting out the middleman um, so that I can have more of an effect. But that's been a process for me because again, I wanted to be, you know, super supportive but then I realized, oh, I don't know if I'm actually helping them out because the cut that these delivery services are taking is so big in some cases that it, it's just kind of mind, mind-boggling. Yeah, they would take a loss on your orders. Yeah, so that exactly. So I don't think all of us, and I don't know anybody at Grubhub, but I can tell you this, they're not a local company. No. And, and I can tell you that 
my friends in the restaurant industry have not posted flattering things about their business practices. Right. So I don't, I'm, I don't want to set myself up for a lawsuit here, but I am going to say if you have the option, just like you said, uh, go and do it yourself. Or even I know a restaurant like Mother's has a seven-mile delivery radius. Right. My kids have ordered from there. So you pay them to deliver it, and they're yeah. happy – and you can tip the driver. Um, we took, we got some pizza as well delivered um, from uh, Ravent. Is it Ravent? Ravente? Ravent? I don't know. I've never heard it pronounced. Pizza when I was there. And, of course, out here in Manzanita, we've been supporting uh, Wanda's um, with as much business as uh, we can. And also Buttercup, which is perfectly set up for this because they were always a takeout business as well right. unbelievable chowders and soups and great ice cream too so um you know that's my local economy but i've been chomping champing as my friend dave points out it is not chomping at the bit it's champing at the bit huh? uh, to get to a restaurant sit down and just order without yeah. having to think what i want to eat yep beforehand. and that's going to be the new norm for a while but boy am i Am I looking forward to the day I can just look forward to going to a restaurant to meet friends? That's the experience. And then you sit down and look at the menu and think, oh, I'll have this and let's share this. Oh, this yeah. is the theme, just eating at home. My, uh, I, I think back because it was probably maybe a week or two weeks before everything really shut down is uh, my wife and I, Randy, went out with a, a couple of friends and we went to a Mediterranean Exploration Company. And we just did the, uh, the chef's tasting menu, which is pretty much you just put it in the hands of, of the chef in the kitchen and they rolled out seven courses and it was just awesome. And just the atmosphere and the bustle and just, you know, we didn't know what was going to come out next. And it was just such a, a, a great eating experience. And so, yeah, now the big debate when we are ordering out is we have to, A, we have to all agree that we're going to order from the same place. What's it going to be? Who's not happy? Um, is there some, is there somewhere close by that we can hit two places? In fact, I should say, uh, we, we ended up doing it. My, it was my daughter's birthday yesterday and she wanted grassa for dinner and, uh, I wasn't feeling super pasta -y myself. So fortunately I was able to order from the, uh, the, uh, location there on Washington, uh, where I could also order some lardo, um, and get it and pick it up all at the same time on my way out of town yesterday. So that was kind of a nice little combo to, to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, they've always had that opportunity there. So that's nice. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, um, I'll, I'll mention it first because I know we'll forget once you mention it, what things you're most looking forward to. And I will say the two things, there's probably more, but the two things that I look forward to is not having to clean up dinner at my house as often. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of that. My girlfriend will be visiting this weekend, so she is so nice to do some of the cooking, but definitely all the cleaning to relieve me of that thing that I hate so much. So I'm looking forward to that. But the other thing I'm looking forward to, Court, and maybe it's an indication I've been watching too much television, but I can't wait for these fucking coronavirus ads to end. They're worse than, than election ads. Yeah. So with the piano playing in the background and the same statements over and over again, now more than ever, we're banding together. I just, I can't wait for that to end. And, you know, I guess there are ways to watch TV without seeing it. And I certainly practice that, but still it's so hard to avoid and they just don't stop. 
So uh, I'm glad to see, I guess, for the media that advertisers are still buying. I suppose that's a good thing for the economy. But uh, from a creative standpoint, I can't wait for that to end. Well, you know, s some advertisers are. Radio and television in general have taken a, a pretty interesting hit. I think t TV um, is seeing possibly a spike in viewership, but I think revenues are down, whereas in radio, people's habits are, are so changed these days. If you think about where you typically would listen to the radio, um, it was probably on, in the car on your drive into work or driving somewhere and people just aren't doing that anymore. Um, so we're seeing those effects definitely, but yeah, no, no that whole approach to um, where literally you could watch five commercials in a row and three of them had very similar verbiage that was the, in times like these, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's just kind of like, all right, we get it. Yeah, no, it's, well, what else do they say, though? So I don't, there's no one to blame. I just can't wait till it ends. Yeah, yeah. But I do, you know, there have to be some ad agencies that have, that see that and think, okay, we're not going to do the same thing because we'll just get lost in the sauce. Right. But on the other hand, the way advertising works is through repetition. And so they just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And at the end yeah. of it, you love Sprint or whoever it might be because they keep saying the same thing over and over again. So anyway, that being said, um, it's been an interesting existence. Lots of time to appreciate those things that I can't necessarily say we took for granted before, but mm -hmm. I, I think about all the people in my life that uh, have come in through serendipitous uh, avenues and uh, how much I appreciate them, all the people I've met, through my my adventures, my trips, um, and in the Portland food world, ten years ago, I didn't know anything about the Portland food world, and here we are in 2020, pretty much ten years after I started Portland Food Adventures. The number of people that I've met, the number of incredible experiences that I've had, and how it's permeated my life, uh, gives me uh, so much appreciation. Um, at this time. And I'll tell you one thing that I shared on my uh, email that is kind of a shared email between this podcast and Portland Food Adventures right. yesterday is that I have for a long time, I've used a Google Chromecast on my TV. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that I take a lot of pictures and always have. So I have so many photos in my Google Photos um, app that it's kind of hard to fathom. And you can set up uh, folders to just scroll through on your TV every 10 seconds, 30 seconds, every minute. And so I've been doing that for years and spend a lot more time uh, watching that on my TV than anything else. And it really, uh, it brings the past into your present and it makes you appreciate people, things, places you've been. It has truly been um, one of the saving graces for me to sit here and watch what has transpired in my past and what do I have to appreciate at a time when I'm real scared about income. I haven't mm -hmm. seen a dime from unemployment income as a self-employed individual yet. I haven't even seen a confirmation that it's in the works. Right. Uh, and applied. Um, so it's been wonderful to be able to see what's been in my past, the people in my past, all the folks that I've that I can now call friends. And then even more importantly, that the hope and the 
uh, I think the confidence that that will happen again. Life is not over as we know it. So um, things will be going to be painful, but hopefully we're back to normal. So um, what about you, Corb? What are you looking forward to most? When this well, I, th I, I think for me, just kind of the ability to to uh, go go places um, freely, and, and I don't use that as a, a way of saying I feel like I've lost my freedom, but just be able to just pick kind of pick up and go to be able to go travel. And you know, Randy, my wife's family lives in Central Washington, and go visit them. Normally, this time of year, we would have been up there. Um, a couple of times, but we're trying to adhere to the to the social distancing thing. So that it'll be nice to just get together and see people. Um, so there is that. Um, there's the uh, uh, if you know, and this isn't going to happen until the next school year. But to get my daughters back into a regular school routine because this homeschooling um, has been a struggle. Um, for, for a lot of different reasons. And I don't put this blame on necessarily the teachers because they're going through their own process on this, but like the, uh, um, the difference between one teacher and another and how they adopt technology range, like it varies so much sometimes that, you know, one teacher, it's easy, next teacher, completely opposite. And for, you know, a 12 year old trying to navigate this and then two working parents trying to figure it all out. It's, it's been a bit of a struggle. So for us, you know, we're, we just take each day at a time and we tell the girls that like, look, you know, we're not going to overstress about this. We're just all going to do our best and, and, and figure it out as we go. But I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to that where they can go and be taught in a, in, you know, in a more, I don't, don't want to say appropriate environment, but one that they're more, we're used to. Where you're not the responsible teacher. Well, and again, there I'm lucky. I can't imagine, and I may have said this before to you. I can't imagine going through this with children in elementary school because they're at an age where they probably need more hands-on. I'm lucky that you know a 12-year-old and a and a 15-year-old. They they kind of self-direct for the most part. You just you know have to kind of bug them a little bit, but they they can navigate. They can log into their classes that, you know, fortunately we're in the Beaverton school district and they have laptops that they give them, you know, Chromebooks. And so they, they were ready to go. So I can't imagine a parent of a, an elementary school trying to do this. And, you know, if they are working and they're working from home to, to do that as well, um, Randy and I struggle as it is. And, um, you know, we both have some, some flexibility in our jobs and in older kids, but it, and it's been a, a challenge. So I can't even imagine well, and on top of that, you've got people who are now home and worried about their jobs, period, if they still have them. Yeah. And if they still have them, maybe taking a pay cut. So stressing out about that, worrying about how the government's going to help. And some are single parents at home with two little kids. I know I have a dear friend who's been dealing with that, and uh, I don't know how she's maintaining her sanity. She may claim she's not. Um, but, and then, uh, yeah, my, my girlfriend's, uh, daughter, uh, she's pregnant with two little kids, the elementary school before pre-elementary and elementary school at home with, uh, you know, with her husband and he's been very helpful, but this is not easy for a lot of people. So anybody who asks me with my two dogs on the beach, I have, I can't say a word right. other than the fact that please state of Oregon, get your shit together in the unemployment department because yep. that would 
that would kind of be helpful too. But uh, yeah. I'm trying to compartmentalize that and, and, and believe that will be taken care of and it's all retroactive and we'll see a nice big check to help get through it because, you know, it's been a little stressful for me canceling a trip. Uh, well, postponing it, but just dealing with all of that has not been fun because those of us in the in the travel industry, I mean, we already had everything sold out. Now we have to undo it, and now we have mm-hmm. to redo it. And there's not more money in it. It's just later. It's less money, and it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to become income a year beyond when it was supposed to. So, um Anyway, that's my deal, but I believe, believe me, I understand it's nothing compared to a lot of people. Right. And, and there are people all over the world. So we're sitting here in the United States, in the beautiful state of Oregon, in spring. Let's yep. not forget that. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. time of year. Um, I just missed the, uh, I didn't miss it, but the, um, there was a flyover over the Oregon coast, and I went out to try to shoot it, but it, I thought romantically it was going to, the, the jets were going to come over Miyakani Mountain on the ocean side, and uh, I wasn't really paying attention, and they came at me right overhead. I could have just watched that from my deck. But um, let's, let's do a shout-out, everybody has, to the frontline workers, because I can't imagine what it's like to be in the face of danger every single day. And, right. Uh, helping our society get through this. So uh, that's what the flyover was for. And I think we're all going to be, you know, I saw some interesting things early on about, um, about a changing concept of who, who's essential. So it's mm-hmm. no longer sports celebrities and musicians, although they helped us get through this music, but musicians, but it's teachers and it's grocery store workers and it's postal workers, especially let's support the post office. Yep. Uh, that's the best deal on the planet. And uh, for that to go away would be crazy. And also we do hope we can do voting by mail um, is contagious and, um, Starts in other states as well. All right, I'm rambling. I got a new coffee maker, Court, uh, right at the beginning of this in late uh-huh. March. And, uh, man, I got, I got to somehow learn to curtail it. But it is, a good, it is a cool thing. I've been ordering coffee from Proud Mary and buying a little local coffee and a little from my, my tradecoffee.com, which isn't local. But the coffee's good and being here out here. I'm looking for any opportunity to get the bags of coffee that I need to survive this pandemic. Everybody has their go-to for, for us in our house. It's been just a crazy, like a crazy amount of baked goods and sugar. So whatever, whatever gets you through, it doesn't matter. Oh, I'm getting sure. But I, did you see the post that I posted earlier this week that I can't believe it. When this first started, I went to Costco to get dog food for a few months I still have, and I can get through to July or August, mm-hmm. and, uh, and some other supplies. And I bought one of those big containers of M&Ms, and I am so proud to say that it's still there. Oh. I'm, like, I think about a quarter of it still exists. But then I pointed out to a friend, but I, I, I failed to mention all the ding-dongs that I've gone through. Ah. In period, and then a friend hooked me up with the Drake's website from you know, which is kind of like the Hostess back east. Yeah, and uh, I just ordered a bunch of ding dongs and yodel. No, they're the ring dings, ring dings and yodels, and 
all sorts of things. I suppose I could have bought them locally, but um, they don't have those things unless I go to Fred Meyer, and I'm not. Uh, you know, I'd like. I'd rather have that shipped to my post office box. Sure, Fred Meyer. Yeah. So it's especially too embarrassingly buy shit I shouldn't be eating at all. Right, but. But helps get me through anyway. So yeah, I, I go back to that. Let's let's talk about the podcast. This was a long time for anybody still with us. We maybe want to put something up front that if you want the to disclaimer. get disclaimer, go right to this point. Yes. But um, so we've decided with the podcast. Here's the other thing. You mentioned radio listenership is down. What's very interesting about the podcast is once the coronavirus started and we started changing the focus of the podcast to a more newsy podcast our listener our listenership in late march just spiked it was huge and we thought you know it's it it didn't feel good to feel good about that but at least oh people want to hear this at least it was information for us to go on correct yeah so um that was great and then (laughs) as april waned on and we started looking at our you know we did a lot of episodes about the about COVID-19, we noticed that the numbers were dropping. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe, we don't know, we, don't, we haven't done any focus groups, but maybe people just want to escape and don't want to be hearing about uh, COVID-19 all the time. Maybe not on this podcast. So you and I, the executive committee, the, chair, the board of directors decided, all right, it's time to segue back into our old interviews. And we have quite a few of them in the can because we were we recorded a bunch in anticipation of my leaving the country for a month or almost mm-hmm. a month. So we have those in the can. And then we had just started. Unfortunately, we had to break in on our Blazer series with the chefs of the Blazers. So the last one that we did was with uh, Kiara Hardy. Mm-hmm. And then we were about to do one with Alexia Grant, who is Carmelo Anthony's private chef and uh we kind of broke she wrote us in the meantime and said hey where's my podcast we told her it will be coming back and it will in the next couple of weeks in the meantime we have one next week we're going to feature philippe below who was the last interview we had as the pandemic started to ramp up a little bit and we reference it on the podcast we start talking about what might happen but we were not it was clear that we didn't know what was really coming, that it was going to hit us, slam us in the next, in that week when we right. recorded, we recorded on a Monday. So what we've decided to do here is let's ease people back in with a little of our conversation because we hope people actually care about us a little, right? Maybe yeah, a, l- a little bit. A little. Right. It doesn't matter. So we are, we are di- indirectly related to the food industry. So we have something to say about it. Sure. But, we thought we would uh, start easing back into it with a repeat today, and we thought a perfect repeat would be with Gregory Gorday, who's opening his new restaurant this year, hopefully. We don't know what's happening with those plans. Construction has slowed down. But we did get a little preview of his opening. Uh, we don't know whether his restaurant is going to be called Khan, as it was last night on Top Chef on Bravo. Mm-hmm. Thursdays at 10 o'clock. Um, so he did, he was there, they're about a month into it now, a little more. And last night was the Restaurant Wars episode. So of the 10 people at the time that were in 
still in the competition, he and one other chef um, pitched their concept to the top chef judges. And Gregory and another guy from the South won. So they got to pick their team to open their restaurant concept and judged on that. And I felt terrible. This is, I, should we do, should I do a spoiler here, Court? I, I, you're more into it than I am. So I, I don't, like, I wouldn't feel bad about a spoiler, but some other people might. So maybe you say, well, I'm going to do oh, a spoiler right now. Yeah, just come back and just just close your ears for a minute or turn the mute on for a minute. There you go. So I was really sad to see um, the other guy get voted off. He's the one who was whose concept was good enough, but he ran the show and he was voted off. Gregory surprisingly didn't take the favored chef, and I'm not going to remember all the names here. I'm terrible with that. But I do remember one name who happens to be my girlfriend's son-in-law's brother. Uh, Brian Malarkey and Gregory picked him first and he was kind of a wild card that you normally wouldn't think would be picked first and he was actually surprised and Gregory did a, a real favor to Brian not that he's not well known and down in San Diego way but just referred to him as Malarkey all night which I think was great so uh, uh, they kicked ass so Portland's restaurant concept won last night on Top Chef and uh, the the we should look forward to that. The Haitian concept that Gregory Corday is going to be bringing to Portland because he wowed everybody um, last night. So that's cool. Okay, everybody, I'm going to yell. You can turn it. You can turn the mute off now. There we go. Sorry, that's pretty corny. So, Message received. Uh, pardon me. Message received. Yeah, thank you. So anyway, we have Gregory Gorday, who is no, you know, he's. He's known by a lot of people, who is the executive chef at Departure here in Portland and also in Denver. We have had him on the podcast a couple of times. And in fact, Court, if you remember back to the year 2016, we had him on in December. And that was the start of our, our uh, audience spike. It started going up, up, up the minute we had Gregory Gorday on the podcast. That's right. That's exactly Let's hope that you know, from a business standpoint, um, more importantly for listeners, we think they'd enjoy Gregory. So this repeat, if I recall, I haven't listened to it this year, but this is from about a year ago. And Gregory was talking about um, a lot of chefs banding together to handle or to support each other um, in recovery. Ben's friends so um, that's what this episode is all about. And we thought it was, it's always appropriate. Things are still happening. And even in the face of this pandemic, um, we have to imagine that there's people are tempted to get back in the bottle or do whatever they do, whatever the right. advice to help get through it. So let's, let's hope these, we know these support systems can help work, but let's hope, hope they're not, needed as much as we think they may be at this point in time that people can make it through um, with good food. So um, that's what this episode is be, will be, and we'll stay tuned next week for a two-parter with Philippe Boulot. We're going to do one on either Monday or Tuesday. What do you think, Court? Tuesday. Tuesday. Mm -hmm. 
with Philippe that we just recorded last week talking about the pandemic as it relates to the Multnomah Athletic Club and what's been happening over there and what his, his uh, viewpoints on how we're going to come out of this will be or were. And then on Thursday, we'll have our regular, we'll return to our regular, regularly scheduled program with interviews with people before this pandemic happened. So there won't be references to the pandemic and the resulting uh, challenges that have come as a, uh, since then as we move forward. When we start recording again, which will be, I don't know, Court, we're going to either do it this way or we're going to get back in the studio. When we start recording, I'm sure we'll be talking to some people about COVID-19, but also we'd like to get beyond that and talk about what we've done with the podcast for close to seven years now, which is to focus on the backgrounds of the folks who bring us our wonderful tastes in Portland, whether that be food or drink, products, whatever. Mm -hmm. We like the podcast to be evergreen. And so therefore, if you listen to, for instance, this interview with Gregory a year later, it's just as relevant as it was then. And that's, that's kind of uh, been our banner for the podcast is, can it be evergreen? We, we strayed from that. Everything changed in the last two months, so we strayed a little bit, but we hope we don't have to go back there again. Great. So I, th I, I think, Chris, without further ado, you and I have, have uh, we've, we've said our piece, at least for now. At least now, for now. At least for now. And so now here's this interview from a year ago with Gregory Gordet. We are uh, pausing here during the podcast to talk about one of our favorite places to eat when things are normal, which is Ringside Steakhouse. Now, uh, Ringside is currently closed due to the pandemic, uh, but they've been doing some really interesting things. Yeah, you might've seen it in the news. Uh, they had a steak sale recently that uh, had a line down the street. A mile, a mile. That's how badly you want to get in on the next sale. Yeah. Much more organized, but it was a mile down the block. They immediately regrouped and said, okay, let's fix this. Yeah. And so now they're now Ringside is um, uh, doing pre-orders, and they or you order ahead of time to pick up uh, in the parking lot uh, when they are ready to do so. The next one will be Saturday, May 16th. So, what you want to do to be able to get in on incredible deals on their uh, on their aged beef, mm -hmm. steaks, lamb, and barbecue-ready meal kits is you want to go to ringside.com, get on their mailing list so that you are the one of the first of thousands to hear uh, about how to order these incredible products for pickup and enjoy at home. And Chris, here's another great way to support Ringside Steakhouse. You can also purchase gift cards on the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. Uh, obviously, these gift cards would be able to use when you're able to go back and at Eat a Ringside. So right now, if you purchase $300 worth of e-gift cards, you'll get a $50 bonus gift card, or when you purchase $500 worth of an e-gift card and uh, a $100 bonus dining card. So definitely a great time for you to uh, support uh, Ringside Steakhouse and also get some little something extra extra once you get to go back there. No one likes paperwork. I hate it. After four days of Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, how was your Valentine's Day? We're recording, by the way. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> you want, you, you, <laughs> it's fine. 
Um, it was very intense because it's been obviously quiet around town because of the fake snow and the weather. And then, right. And then Valentine's weekend was just insane for four days in a row. Wow. So, um, we noticed that too. We were out to, we were running around town Saturday and Sunday. Saturday could not get in anywhere. So everybody kind of forewent Thursday. Does it always be continue for the whole weekend? I didn't know that. Like, yeah, because sometimes, well, Thursday was extremely busy. Friday was okay. And then Saturday was extremely busy. And then yesterday was pretty busy too. Because we're always busy when there's a holiday. Right. Like, because today's obviously a holiday. So that's like the double whammy. That's like the, the last of the left over the Valentine's Day. It's and today, Monday, it was President's it, Day. It was yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday. The right. stragglers. Right. The stra- the, yeah. The, the ones who won't get the award. For be- <laughs> but isn't that almost, it's almost preferred other, yeah, other than everybody as, slamming as, the place. It's busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but just in terms of a, sta- a statement on the, yeah. the people who make the plan. It's also easier to get a babysitter on a Sunday night than a Thursday night, maybe. That's Valentine's true. Day. But, but you're sacrificing. I don't even remember anymore. I don't pay much attention. And it doesn't matter. Everything's on demand now. But Sunday used to be the good TV night. I never want to do, <laughs> I never want to do events on, on Sundays. So, um, so Wait a minute, hold on. You would you would not go out on dates because Sunday was TV night? Oh, I didn't night? talk about a date. No, no, no. Food events. Okay, I got you. Getting, okay. getting people out of the house on a Sunday night okay. wasn't my It was for other challenge. people, not you. <clears throat> right. Okay. No, date, yeah. Just wanted to be clear on that. I didn't. No, now my whole thing is not driven by the calendar. It's driven by geography. Yeah, yeah. So whether I do something or not. So, um, so speaking of Valentine's, do you have a Valentine? I've never... You know, I know a little bit about you, but like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I do. You do. I do. So, did you go out? For, you didn't get to go out for Valentine's uh, we, Day. We went out on Tuesday. Oh, good. Where'd you go? Went to departure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Is that because you get a deal, or are you just a cheap ass? Or uh, is <laughs> well, we recently started dating after a long back and forth of a few years. Not and local. No, local. Okay. Yeah. It's a very complicated story. Yeah. Um, but I don't uh, want to put you on the spot to no, tell it's, it. I it's, just... it's totally fine. Um, no, but well, Departure is like my family. So right. obviously I've been there forever. So it's like a big deal for me to take someone there because I never take dates there ever, ever, ever because it's just a lot. It's a right. lot of attention. It's it's just a lot. Right. So, well, yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, friends with Craig at Ringside, okay. and when I've asked him to join me, like yeah, on my birthday, yeah, he's like, are you kidding yeah. me? I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so so, uh, so for me to take someone to departure on a date is like meeting my family, so it's it's a big step in a relationship. Well, you could do it, but you don't have to tell them that this is, this is the one, so. <laughs> yeah, but then there's like 60 people every day that are going to ask me about this person because... We have so many people that that we all work together. So right. it's like I wouldn't just bring anyone there. So like, that was a big move then. That, it was, was, your, move. that was your. It was a big move. <laughs> good. I've had that too. Where it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll do this. Um, Jump right in. Well, congratulations. How long has that been going on? Um, we've been seeing each other for about eight weeks now, but we've known each other for about two and a half years on and off. And oh, good. So, our, I don't, again, as I said, I don't know, are relationships a regular thing for you? Or no, not so, at all. I haven't, so I haven't been in a relationship in oh, quite some time, maybe like a couple of years. Oh, well, that's, well, I went more yeah, than that. So. Yeah. I mean, we, 
he's re- recently divorced, so it's it's a very complicated story. Yeah, but well, it's, things are good. You know. Yeah. There, what relationships don't have yeah. complications? Yeah, uh, uh, very very true. So, well, make, congratulations on that. Good you. luck. Thank you. And you have a big beaming smile on your face. I don't, he makes me happy about that. So wait, he wait makes a minute. Me happy. We, we always forget to get the shot that we're going to use for the thumbnail. So, um, so yeah. So the two of us, man. I got the woman who makes me happy right here too. <laughs> so. Um, so we're just two happy guys. We're just talking about <laughs> actually. So, but I wanted to talk about something a little a little deeper and um, not so maybe not so happy. But I think it is a happy thing, right? Fighting addiction, indeed, and getting on the good side of that. And you've been on the good side of it for quite some time now. Yeah, I'll be ten years drugs, alcohol, and cigarette free on March 30th. Congratulations. Thank you. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. So cigarettes too. Cigarettes too. So this guy that I know as, and you've chilled a little bit on the running, I understand. We'll talk about that. But as the healthiest man I've ever seen in my life, ever, (laughs) who could, you were doing those 100 mile runs. I was trying to. I've done a couple of 50 milers. I signed up for a 100 miler and then a storm came in and and they canceled the race. I think that was the universe speaking to you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I could have a hundred under my belt at this point now. Now I have to keep plugging away. Are you gonna? Are you gonna get? Yeah, there it's, with it's definitely. I am. I am gonna go for it next year. Hopefully, if I can, because I started running again consistently. So, oh, you did? I did. I did. We had some time off in January. We closed the restaurant for three weeks for renovations, mm-hmm. um, and it was actually very, very nice to be on vacation and you know not get emails and not get called into work because the restaurant was physically closed. Yeah, I'll point so. out that you're, you know, first of all, thank you for coming of course. a little far into this, <laughs> but I really appreciate it because we know you're a really busy guy. It's all good. And it's my pleasure. we know, you know, you were a little late because you had inventory going on and then <laughs> the first five minutes of this interview were conducted while you were multitasking, <laughs> t- texting somebody. So I, appreciate, I, I don't have the ability to do that. So I, <laughs> you have to as a, as a chef. And as someone who's running as much as you're running, you have to be able to multitask. Yeah. Like that. Unfortunately, I feel like I can only do three things at a time. Only three? Yeah. So okay. I tend to focus on those things and everything else falls by the wayside. So it's a well, little you, challenging sometimes when... You get them done. But I get them done. So let's go back to 10 years. Yes. Um, which is fantastic. So it's like the whole gamut of everything, right? You, you didn't have gambling in there, though. No, no gambling. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you had, so you had drugs, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. Alcohol, cigarettes. I mean, that's pretty much and it. And you were, you were, uh, you were heavy too, right? I was, yes, I was, I was definitely heavier. Heavier. If heavier. You weren't a big guy. So. No, I wasn't like you. What was your, what was your drug of choice? Drug of choice was cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, uh, I had a little nasty stint of free basing cocaine and like towards my end in New York City. I had uh, a very bad uh, alcohol, uh, you know, a lot of issues with alcohol. I lived in San Diego briefly and uh, there weren't a lot of drugs, but there was a lot of alcohol. So it's been a little bit across the board. And so when did you realize, well, do you remember the moment when, or the moments, the series of moments when you realized, man, I gotta, I gotta do something mm, about this. For me, it truly was, you know, looking back at my history, it, you know, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, obviously, but you know, it was, just, it, was a, it was a seven year kind of stretch from, I remember the first time I, I woke up drunk late for work to the time I finally got sober and that spanned three states. 
Right. Um, and, and a lot of jobs. I would and imagine. a lot of jobs. And lost jobs. And lost jobs. Not honestly, not not too many jobs, but you know, like I've had my past job for nine years, so it was for my past. It's you know probably went through like eight jobs during that those seven years. So were you able to in the industry? Which you know, I want to talk about Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. and what Kitchen Confidential did to kind of make everything. Okay, for everybody. I mean, to- honestly, I mean, it, those were the times, you know, it was New York City, it was the turn of the century, you know, it was like the millennium, it was like the 2000s, you know, we worked hard, you know, we worked at, you know, like, you know, four-star restaurants, we worked off the clock for hours, it was a high-pressure situation, we weren't given a lot of direction, we didn't talk about our feelings, um, and we just knew we had a hard job to do, so we worked hard, and then we party hard. And and obviously, if you're if you're in New York City, and you're used to kind of having everything at your fingertips, um, life is pretty fun, you know. And especially in the city that never sleeps, you know, bars are open till four a.m. Uh, everything else is open twenty four hours a day. You know, I'm a huge club kid. I love electronic music. I love going to clubs. Um, so we would, you know, go to the bar till four a.m. and then I would go to the clubbing you know, to literally like probably 6 p.m. the next day if I had the day off. Um, there's always after hours in New York, you know. So it, it was a ride. It was, it was nonstop. It was nonstop for sure. So then what time generally were you showing up to work and were you, were you? I mean, there was, I mean, obviously there's a long period of time where I would just show up to work extremely hungover, you know, and then there was a period of time where I would just show up to work late, you know, like two hours late, three hours late. Um, you know, and then it all just came kind of crashing down. Um, and I finally, you know, was working for some friends. Uh, the last restaurant I worked at in New York was Mercat, which was a Catalan restaurant. And uh, a bunch of friends and I kind of opened that restaurant. And it was just really fun. It was really cool to actually learn. And Spanish by the way, food. the Catalan culture is yeah. to be out. Absolutely. Not start till 1 a.m. Yeah, you know, we're, I mean, we're, drinking, we're drinking better ones on the line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, drinking like vino verde on the line and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that all kind of kind of came crashing down, and I and I entered rehab, and I was in outpatient rehab in New York City. Uh, but I got a call to move to San Diego for uh, to help some friends with their restaurant out there, who we worked together at George George as well. So midway through rehab, before really kind of understanding anything, really understanding my disease, or really coming to terms with anything, I moved to San Diego and went into a downward spiral of drinking uh, um, alcoholically, you know, um, got into a very bad car accident, um, got arrested a couple times, um, that. You know, anybody who now knows you in Portland, you know, and has gotten yeah, it, yeah. they would not believe that yeah. side of you. Yeah, there's, actually, well, I actually moved here and I, 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 I did that thing for another like eight months before I actually got sober. So you got sober so here there's in, actually, in this city. Yeah, actually I got, that's why Portland's so important to me because I actually got sober here. And there's actually a very medium sized handful of people who actually know me from back in the day. And uh, when I used to drink and party and used to hang out downtown. Um, but you know, um, I worked at Saucebox actually um, when I moved here, I walked into Saucebox and upon my first day, uh, my sous chef was sober and he was a sous chef that was actually working there. And he's like, Hey, I've, you know, I haven't drank in two years. And I really do believe it was an act of God for me to meet this person because it was the first person that I'd ever met that was sober that hadn't drank for two years. And 
he had a circle of, of chef friends who were sober and I would, you know, I would hang out with them because, you know, they were fun and interesting and I, I just felt attracted to them. Um, but then as soon as we were done, I would go straight to the bar and, you know, after a few months of uh, a pretty decent relapse onto drugs, uh, I, you know, just decided it was time, you know, I was, you know, th- turning 32 I was looking around and all my friends were buying houses and having children. And I was, you know, just like partying with like young kids and, you know, falling off my bike, you know? So it wasn't a very hard decision because I felt like I thought about it for so long. And, you know, it was about two years since I'd been to rehab um, that I finally, you know, was like, hey, take me to AA. And, and you had a support system to do, yeah, to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I already had a support system. So, so do, you, do you care to mention that person just because as... To you know, honor what they did in yeah, life. I it's mean, okay. It's personal, so you don't. No, have it's to. fine. I mean, the name of the kid is Tommy Branson. He's not sober anymore, which is what happens. Oh. Um, but you know, my friend Andrew Garrett, who uh, does uh, Northwest Elixirs, um, he's still sober. He was like one person, definitely that inspired me to get sober. Um, we're still really good friends today. So, so it's been good, you know. So I don't know some of the work that I'm doing with Gabe right now. Gabriel Rucker. Yeah. Le Pigeon and yeah. Canard. He's and five years sober. So we started a chapter of Ben's Friends, um, which is a support group for uh, industry folk in recovery. So it's been extremely helpful. It's not Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the structure is very different. It's truly just a meeting. It's truly just a safe space for people who are in the industry, bartenders, chefs, servers, um, people who are retired from the industry, um, a place for us all to get together and just talk about, you know, what we're going through. And obviously, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous worked for me quite well. Um, it worked for Gabe as well. It works for a lot of people. So, you know, some people are, you know, kind of curious about AA or scared about AA or, you know, maybe religion scares them. Um, but, you know, the meeting itself is just a safe place for us to talk. And if they're looking for a true resource, we can kind of guide them to a if that's what they want but it definitely works are there um and so this didn't start long ago no we're actually just our third meeting will be uh next tuesday um so we're about two meetings in um you know our first meeting we had about maybe like 17 people our second meeting we had about 25 people um so it's pretty powerful to see you know how many people in town you know are struggling are in recovery um, within our industry. Obviously, this is Portland. We're a huge food town, so um, it's important, you know, and it's cool that we're getting together and and we're able to talk about these things, you know. Um, You know, a lot of people have identity issues, you know, especially if you've been a sommelier your whole life or you've been, like, the wine director, you know, for a company your whole life and you realize you have a problem with alcohol. You know, like, you know, we talked about identity at our last meeting and, like, what that looks like. You know, so some really good things are happening there. It's really great. I was surprised to see um, Eric at Shipwreck and now Eam. Indeed. Indeed. That he's sober and yeah. he's able to be one of the best bartenders yeah. in town. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's yeah. incredible. But I also note that, you know, I know Gabriel a little bit and I've known him for 10 years. I've known you for a while. Mm-hmm. It seems to me to be a maturation. So you have a lot of chefs who've been around a while. So I had... The fun fortune, I'll say, to hang around back in the late 70s and mm-hmm. 80s with Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Oh, My wow. brother was their nice. creative director. Oh, wow. And so um, 
I was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you the the stories I have and the experiences I had when those guys were all in their twenties. Yeah. Um, and the way they, you know, it was what everybody thinks it was, yeah, and if, yeah. if not more. But then when Valerie Bertinelli came into the scene mm. and Eddie got married, and then everybody started having kids, the whole thing changed. Yeah. It was no yeah. longer yeah. about the partying. It yeah. was trying, to, <laughs> to, trying yeah. to actually manage life. Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine that's one of the reasons that in this Portland food world, it really started blossoming, mm. let's say, tw 14 years, 12, around you know, oh five, oh six, oh seven, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I would imagine this is a natural progression. Yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately, I mean, look like at, look at Gabriel, man. Yeah. He's got he's got kids. He couldn't continue to, to no, of live the way not. he was. Of course not. You know, but I feel like unfortunately, like this happens, like after you, you kind of lose a few things, or you know, you don't get sober like on the cusp of happiness. you know happiness or on the cusp of success. You know, like right. you kind of like see some things crumbling around you a little bit, and then you decide to get sober. And some people don't see those things yeah. troubling around, yeah. right? They never do. Yeah. Pausing a moment here, Chris, to uh, give a shout out to our friends at Toro Bravo Inc., uh, John and Renee Gorham, all the great things they do. And we're talking about iconic Portland restaurants like Toro Bravo, Tasty and Daughters, Tasty and Alder, Plaza del Toro, uh, Mediterranean Exploration Company, Shalom Y'all and bless your heart burgers, uh, such great places to eat in Portland. Yeah, and we're thankful to be associated with those restaurants. Proud of that, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And so if you've been listening to the podcast, you might listen to our episode with Renee Gorham, uh, where she indicated some of the things they're doing now with Feed It Forward PDX. I don't know whether this is part of it or not, but they're doing sliding scale meals that you can enjoy yourself based on what you can afford. So call them at any of their restaurants, and they're happy to provide a meal for some for some folks who are having uh, tougher times than usual right now. But the other thing that they're offering is to make a donation for meals for others. So your donation can go to uh, sponsor a meal for homeless youth at PEAR, a Portland organization, or women and children at Rosehaven, or a family at Portland Homeless Family Solutions, or anybody experiencing homelessness at New Avenues for Youth. Uh, they're also, uh, allowing you to sponsor a, a meal for healthcare workers. And again, even if it's not for you, if you want to sponsor a sliding scale meal for someone else in need, you can order that at one of their restaurants. So um, you can also contact anybody in the food world who's listening. If you want to contact uh, John and Renee about donating your food that they can put into those packages, please do. So you would learn more uh, at any of Bravo's websites, and you can email them there, or you can call them for takeout at those places, too. Let's not forget, you can just order straight up off their menus, and they appear on the website. You can start at torobravoinc.com, and then choose the restaurant that appeals to you most at that particular point in time. Toro Bravo, thank you, folks, for being such wonderful people and a stellar example of how a community works together to get through something tough like this. What, what do you think, is there something, is there a common thread with the people that you know that are sober? Because here's, I look at you and I just, 
and you know it could be wrong but you know you've been you've been on television so there's gregory <laughs> uh, you know up and not even an allegory but you're up at the top of departure you know the highest spot front of the <laughs> most beautiful restaurant um and you've done some incredible things so do you, you think that what was what what drove you to go so low is also yeah now I mean, that you've turned around it's helping yeah, you to go I so mean, high there's definitely something to be said about having an addictive personality and how when you take that energy and you, you redirect it into positive things like anything is possible you know all my you know i guess when i got sober i started running i used to run at night i used to leave sauce box and i used, i trained for a bunch of marathons and that's because I was like all the energy that I would spend like drinking and doing drugs and hanging out with like a bunch of kids, you know, like all through downtown. Like I, I couldn't do that anymore. So like I would just start running, you know, and, and I had all that energy, you know, like I still didn't need a lot of sleep because I'm just like used to not sleeping much. And, you know, you just kind of start doing all these other things, you know, alcoholically, you know, like literally, you know, like you obsess over, you know, fitness and diet and, you know, accomplishing all these goals, you know. That's not everyone by any means, but, you know, I think if you're maybe in this industry, you know, you're extremely passionate about a lot of different things, um, that coupled with an addictive personality um, and determination, because you definitely have to determine to be an alcoholic or a drug addict, you know? So if you take away all the bad stuff and you place with good stuff, you know, a lot of things are impossible. Like not, like you can do anything. That's what I mean. Um, when you, When you first went... Sober, did you, ha were you able to see how high you could go or you learned it over time? Um, because, it, so if I had said when you were, uh, mentioned you were at Saucebox, hey, mm -hmm. by the way, because someone can do this with me, not mm -hmm. necessarily from an addictive standpoint, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. where life can take you, mm -hmm. you're going to be, uh, you know, I met you when you first started at Departure, yep. I think, yep. but you're going to be at Departure for X number of years, then you're going to open a second departure <laughs> in Denver, and then you're going to be on TV and take that almost to the hilt. I mean, I view as a, you know, you get down to the top two, that's yeah. just a judgment call. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, would I, you, I, could you foresee that no, you had this in, uh, no, or, or could your mom I mean, foresee I, I think, that? I, I think I was just like working on myself, you know, I think I'm still just working on myself, you know, like obviously I'm a very goal-driven person. I have aspirations and I have things that I desire, but I also know that, um, I've learned that, you know, life owes me nothing. Um, and that's a lesson I hold very close to myself that everything could be like way worse and I should not feel like I deserve anything. And if I want something, I need to work for it. And sometimes things might happen and sometimes things might never happen. And that's just the attitude that I have walking into every day. So, I knew that when I got sober, I had a lot of work to do on myself. That's why I focused on myself. I focused on, you know, making amends with the people I hurt over the years, you know, throughout the country, past employers, family, friends, um, made sure I repaired those relationships. Um, I made sure that I, you know, got my health back in check, you know, after smoking cigarettes for 15 years, I was very concerned about having lung cancer. So, you know, I went on this physical fitness thing and tried to be as healthy as possible. Um, I, I tried to, you know, learn about po Portland culture to, you know, get a better pulse on, you know, th the town and, you know, working with farmers and purveyors and working with other chefs and being part of the community, you know, all these things to just make myself a better person, um, and make me a happier person. Um, and those are still really simple things that I still do today. 
Um, but it's, uh, I would imagine it's a little challenging to do. Your days are full. Yeah. So how much time do you actually get to think about um, goals and and being a better person yeah, every day? I, you know, there's yeah, a, in yeah. the, you're in the kitchen. A it's lot of true. shit happens fast it's and true. you can't sit there and go, oh, no, oh man, I didn't say that the right way. I don't know if that was. No, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, I, like honestly, like, I'm an introvert, you know, like, and that's another piece of it. So I have a lot of people that I have to manage and, you know, I, I want to be fair and I want to be open to everyone as much as possible, but at the end of the day, I do have to work a lot and I have to make some hard decisions and I'm not happy all the time, but you know, at the back of my head, I know I'm extremely grateful for everything I have and I can, I cannot complain. So, so and what role did your, uh, I know you're close to your mom, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. What role did your mom play in your success? Um, you know, helping you to get out of, out of the, out of the yeah, dumps. Um, I think my parents have just been always supportive. I think, I think we're just really different because. Sorry, I didn't reference your father. I just yeah, seen. It's yeah. I just heard yeah, a lot yeah. about your cooking influence. Yes, your mom, my mom's so. been around with us. She's she's cooked with us quite a bit because right. we started doing a lot of Haitian food. But uh, I think the biggest thing is that we're just extremely different people in the way that we grew up. I grew up in New York City. You know, they grew up in Haiti. You know, my father grew up with like no running water and electricity. Um, so we just grew up very very different. But at the same time. Um, so they didn't really understand a lot of things that I went through, you know, like, you know, like getting piercings and starting to do drugs and like going to raves. Like it's just nothing that they've ever experienced before because they just grew up in, in Haiti and is very, very different. Um, so, I mean, outside of that, they've always been extremely supportive of everything I've ever done. Um, even if they didn't understand it, they've been extremely supportive. Like when I told them I had to go to rehab, they're extremely supportive. You know, every time I moved across the country or went to a different state they were you know understanding and supportive um i mean i think the biggest piece is when i told them i want to go to culinary school like they're like 100 percent in you know this is after like going to college for like already like five years and like going to like two schools so and what were you studying before you went to uh, I, I started at pre-med at nyu for one year and then i moved to university of montana and did wildlife biology and then I realized I wanted to cook and I tried to get out of college and they insisted I had to get a degree. So I ended up getting a French degree. So like three majors, five years of college, and then I finally went to culinary school. So like all in like seven years of college. And did any, did, were you able to take a little bit from all those um, majors? Yeah, I mean, I definitely. I mean, you cook French food too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, well, they both work in hospitals. So I think that was like the kind of like the pre-med route, but. I think I'm just far more over creative. Um, and like the wildlife biology, you know, I think conservation and, um, you know, just those issues are still really important to me, sustainability. Um, so that's still a part of me. Um, that's actually a big part of me. Um, you think that may have influenced you to move from New York City or San Diego to Portland, Oregon? Yeah, or well, Oregon? actually, so a little bit of background on me. Like, I actually, so like growing up in Queens, I actually went to. Board. Are you a Met fan by any chance? I am a Mets fan. All right, Mets we, I didn't know Mets that. Jets. We have that in common. <laughs> Mets Jets. We just talked about that. We have that in common. So you know, when I was, uh, I'm way older than you are, but I got, I was um, at the game, game five of '69 World Series oh, wow. when the Mets oh, wow. won, and then we had season tickets to the Jets. So, and I had the fortune to 
no Joe, walk with Joe Namath for four hours and talk to him. Oh, once. damn. So yeah. that's pretty cool. So you, <laughs> it's nice, you know, here in Portland, I don't find people that might appreciate that's that true, that's true. very much. So you might, but you're too young to even necessarily appreciate I'm not that it. young. <laughs> well, yeah, but you weren't around to yeah. you watch yeah. the Mets win. Yeah, that, so that, that, I'm not, yeah. That much I know. I'm not that old. So, um, um, so I actually went to boarding school in Delaware. Um, I went to a very small. So I'm curious. I'm, we'll keep going on that, yeah. but. So your parents grew up with no running water. Well, right? my father. Your father. Yeah. No running water in Haiti. Yeah. And now, you know, you we have aspirations to be pre-med. You're going to boarding school in yeah. Delaware. Yeah. What? My parents, they came to America and they just started working hard. Right. So what you did know, they do? They went to school. Uh, so my mother was a microbiology lab supervisor at a hospital in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. she also taught microbiology at City College. My father was a chemistry lab supervisor in hospitals throughout Brooklyn and the Bronx. Um, and then he did real estate as well. So, like, they always had two jobs. Right. But they, you, so they provided the role models yes, for you to, yes, to yes, aspire like to be pre med and, exactly, and a top exactly, chef. Yeah, so. yeah. So, then, you know, like our neighborhood, it wasn't a bad neighborhood by any means, but, you know, they didn't want to send me to public school where we grew up. So it was either like private school in the city or boarding school. And luckily there was a program called Prep for Prep, um, which helped, you know, minorities um, get into uh, boarding schools up and down through the East Coast and help with financial aid. Um, So through that, I was able to go to St. Andrews, which is a small boarding school in Delaware, 250 kids. And did that contribute to your future or at the time drug problem because um, all the kids who went to boarding schools man, 100% when I grew up <laughs> yeah. we had, we had yeah. one thing in public school yeah. which was which was heavy enough yeah. but the kids who went to boarding yeah. school man they were yeah. the dealers so if you ever seen Dead Poet Society that was filmed at my high school oh okay so I, I grew up in a very uh, my neighborhood was 100% black um, both African American and Haitian American um, and Caribbean American. Um, so I honestly, like high school was the first time I was surrounded by like different types of white people from all across the country. Um, and just exposed to like anything like that by any means and, and wealth. Um, it was a wonderful experience. You know, it was not a snobby school by any means. Like all my friends from high school are still my best friends. Um, but I think that is really what kind of inspired me to want to leave New York because all of my other friends from New York City have never, ever left New York City, and they never will, <laughs> you know? Um, but being that I left starting at the age of, like, 14, and I lived other places, I lived somewhere quiet, it was, you know, on a pond, there's, like, great blue herons flying around, you know, it was, like, really awesome. So that's what kind of inspired me to want to seek living other places, like Missoula, Montana, and Portland, Oregon, you know? Because if so not... your friends haven't said... Haven't been a little jealous of your Instagram posts of where you were. <laughs> no, I, when I moved away from Connecticut, there were some yeah. friends who absolutely said, well, if you could do that, I'm doing yeah. it too. Yeah, so they t- moved I mean, away. Yeah, tons of people are like, yeah, that's awesome. But like, they, they're not leaving New York. <laughs> like, New Yorkers don't leave New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess there's no place like it. So yeah. if, you're, yeah. if you're addicted to that, then yeah. you're going to stay. Yeah. So um, currently, right, you've started uh, Ben's Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any people there that have surprised you that you didn't know and have been inspired necessarily by Ben's friends? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it's honestly, it's, it's very surprising. It's, it's really like a who's of the industry and, you know, and I noticed in the, by the way, we're, we're, 
I learned about this through the article mm-hmm. in Portland Monthly yeah. that Karen Brooks yeah. wrote, which was a really well written article. It was an amazing article. There was a couple of people there that I was, I knew, you know, I knew about Gabriel and yeah. I watched that transition. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, he's I didn't necessarily know you. You could guess it about Tommy Habits. Yeah, Tommy. Um, but I didn't really know that you know he he would be there. Yeah, and so yeah, that's he's been, been there. interesting and yeah. mostly marijuana, which people nowadays. Now, all of a sudden that that's legal, that's a whole, maybe people don't look at it the same way as they did before. I don't know. I feel, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of discussion around marijuana. For me, it's not smoking marijuana as a part of my sobriety. Um, Some people smoke marijuana, but I don't know. I feel like it's been, you know, getting legalized for so long and it's been... Um, accepted as something that's okay for so long and it's it's been beneficial for a lot of people a lot of people like have anxiety and like have depression and have suicidal thoughts and marijuana helps them quite a bit um, but that also can lead to a dependency maybe in the opposite direction so mm-hmm. um, you know for me marijuana is not for me I know a lot of people who don't drink alcohol um, who use marijuana and, and it helps them quite a bit um, but then there's also a lot of people who have just smoked for so long that they realize that they are addicted to marijuana and, and they're seeking clarity from that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's clarity in giving it up. Yeah. I had done yeah. it yeah. years ago. So uh, you start yeah. thinking I was a never differently. a big weed smoker. Not your, not your no, thing. Not my thing. So what is, we don't have a much, much time left. What are your, what do you aspire to? What are your goals? What are the things you want to accomplish in the next five Me? or 10 years? Um, well, I'm actually, I have a cookbook proposal. Um, about to come out. Um, it's a health book, actually. Um, so um, more to come on that, but I'm, I'm working on a health cookbook. Um, I think, you know, health is something that's really important to me. Um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I just want to connect with the community even more in a lot of different ways. I've been working with Congressman Blumenauer on some food policy things. Um, we worked together last year on an event called Roots, which we did with a bunch of Chefs in town is really, really amazing. We had 320 guests. We had 13 chefs um, plus five more at the reception. So it was like a huge gala that we did. And we raised money for James River Foundation Impact Programs and also the Farmer's Market Fund, um, which gives money to people on SNAP um, at local farmer's markets throughout Oregon. Um, I'm currently on the board at Urban Gleaners. um, So that is really fantastic as well. Um, But yeah, just... I don't know. I want to do more with hunger in Oregon. I want to do more with sustainability in Oregon. Are you involved with Colorado in the same way that you're involved with Oregon? Yes, with, with uh, I've seen. I've seen not as much because I'm I'm mostly here. But yeah, I mean, I think Colorado. Um, Colorado has a slow food festival, which is really fantastic, and there's a lot of good sustainability that's happening out there as well. And what's the big difference between if you can pinpoint it, living in Colorado or the industry in Colorado Mm -hmm. and Oregon? Um, I think we have more growing season. Uh, I think we have kind of a little bit of a closer community, I think, in town here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think, you know, our food scene, you know, is a little bit more open. I think there's definitely something developing in Denver um, slash Colorado. Um, but I think uh, we, t- we truly have a global kind of take on cuisine. I mean, in Portland, you can get great Russian food, you can get great Thai food, you can get great Japanese food, you can get great African food, you can get great Haitian food. Um, I don't think that Denver is there just yet. You know, there's a lot of great American food there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I mean, you can say all those things become American food at a certain point, but right. you know, it's, there's definitely like a glow. I, I, the people also often say that you know, Portland's a very white town, but I, I think if you truly look within our food culture here, um, you'll see quite a bit of culture and um, ethnicities represented in the food that we have. And I think, um, I, I think, I think it's a worldly city. People yeah, like to travel yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the most diversity that we we see in town is is found in our restaurants, which yeah. is which is awesome. Bodies at teas. Yeah. So, and you're uh, what one of the things that's changing in our industry or in the industry is. I mean, with all the hotels mm-hmm. coming up. There, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look no. at how many new new rooms are coming in, you're well positioned. Yeah, you're at the top of one of the <laughs> finest hotels yeah. in Portland. There's, there's there's a lot. You know, it's weird because I get I just I literally just wake up and go to work for so many for so long for like months at a time. So like it's it's sometimes I I've been running a lot and I've been running through all these all the neighborhoods and around town and like. The concept of like New Portland, it's like it's very much so a thing. Like I, I look outside my window. There's like three cranes, you know. Like I run through any neighborhood. There's like I counted so much development. I counted eighteen just being able to look yeah, and drive yeah, up by five the other day. Yeah. So I mean, I think at this point, there's no fighting it. It's just you know. But you're in a here. good. So do you feel like you're really well positioned because now, you know, you've got Dougie and. Um, uh, at Bullard, and a lot of people are opening hotel restaurants. Vitaly, he's found that's his thing. Yeah, that's his Vitaly thing. Vitaly Paley. Um, and you've been, you know, at Departure for a while. Yeah, so I mean, we're lucky. Departure, we're, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year, so we're pretty excited about that. We've served 1.4 million people since we've opened. Nice. So that's quite a quite an impressive number. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, that's a very competitive town, and I don't mean, like, you know, pushing people out the way, but, you know, there's there's just a lot of amazing people in, in business right now, and they're all my friends. And obviously, I want tremendous success for Doug. And you know, Vito is a mentor of mine. I want tremendous success for him. I feel there's room for everyone in town, and um, I think it's great. You know, everyone is successful and creating good food and pushing themselves to create something for their guest. I think it's I think it's great. You it's know? One, one of the things that impressed me from the get go is how everybody mm-hmm. gets along here and supports yeah, one course, another. It's what course. makes it really unique. Yeah. This is a strange question, and I, I don't want specifics, but I, everybody everybody loves you, and then it's obvious why. Do you have any enemies in this town? <laughs> in this town? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I'm is sure anybody, I do. Is there anybody you know who just doesn't like you? That I, you're like, If someone said, hey, listen, I need a I favor from this guy, you would say, I can't call. <laughs> I don't know. Some people just don't pick up the phone for me, so I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, that's the case with everybody. <laughs> Some people just don't pick up the phone at all if they know you really well. So, um, I mean, I'm far from perfect. I, I don't know. I try to be a good person. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm extremely busy, you know, so I can't get to everything all the time. Right. Um, and I'm also an introvert in a very public kind of life. You're so. an intro. It's interesting. You're an introvert, and yet you're sitting here, and yet you're on <laughs> Top Chef, and you were very comfortable. Know, so the first time I met you, I thought it, that guy is really quiet, and it, I don't even know. It, I don't even know what we did an event with twenty two people yeah, at yeah. the Portland Food Adventures, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I walked away thinking, I don't know if he's going to be very comfortable <laughs> talking to twenty two people. And then I see you on Top Chef talking to millions, <laughs> and so you got to be comfortable in doing what you're doing, yeah. working with in in politics and uh, yeah. and. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot to be like driven and passionate, and then at the same time, 
you know, honestly feel overwhelmed sometimes and, you know, just want to be like alone running in the woods. <laughs> so, so, so I and, do it all. So, and you'll be alone running in the woods. You do it. Um, last, last question. What do you want to accomplish this year? Because we're early in 2019. We are. What, what do you want to, what do you see that you, what's your goal? Because you're a goal-oriented yeah, person, you say. I am a goal-oriented person, so I definitely, I want to work on my cookbook because um, that, it's a long process. I want to make it really fantastic. Uh, I don't know. I think I think I want to do less this year. I think I've done so much, and I've, I'm definitely traveling less this year. Um, I don't think I'm leaving the country. I'm, I'm not leaving the country at all um, until maybe um, later this fall. Um, so I, I just want to be home. I want to be home more. I want to take care of myself more. I want to get back in shape, and I just want to, you know, just solidify departures, you know, the kind of iconic Portland dining destination that it is um, as we celebrate our 10th anniversary, you know. It, it gets tougher to do because yeah. Portland's about the next shiny new thing. Yeah, it's and true. So. It's true. And I think we can, you know, I think every year we've been, we've been able to push a dish or push a menu um, that has really, you know, stood out. You know, um, we had tremendous success with our duck last year um, and updating that a little bit and, you know, uh, summer is our funnest season because it's just so busy and the decks are open. Um, we have gardens, both hydroponic gardens in our basement and our rooftop gardens. So, um, you know, I think just working with my team and just being present and being in town, um, I'm just trying to have like a very simple, solid exciting year in Portland. I think that's a great goal. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate appreciate part of you being in Portland right now is yeah. that you came here. Yeah, so, of course. And you know, you talk about people not returning calls or emails. I asked you to come on the podcast after I read that. We've wanted you back okay. on. Okay. You were the first guest I called when the focus of the podcast became... Uh, let's talk to the people in the news. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started that in 2016. Yeah. And you're the first guy I got. But when I emailed you to come on here, in a very short period of time, you yeah, were yeah. gracious enough to. Honestly, like yes. we've have prepped our whole calendar for the whole year. So like our schedule is done like through December. But obviously, you know, I want to do cool things with people in town. So, of course, I'm going to get you in, Chris. Okay. Well, <laughs> my I, pleasure. It's my I, pleasure. So appreciate it. And yeah. we, we don't get, uh, every once in a while, I run yeah. into an event, and yeah. we say, how you doing? Yeah. And <laughs> we haven't talked that much. So this, yeah. uh, you're coming in, yeah. we get to know, I get to know you a little bit more, yeah. and sort of yeah. a lot of, we help a lot of people. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right